0: Welcome to season two of the Age Sister podcast. This season, we're talking all about women at work. So let's get started with today's expert. Hey everyone, I've got an amazing guest on the podcast today, and I think you're in for a real treat. Today, I'm joined by Robin Rosenberg, who's the CEO and founder of a company called Live in Their World. It's an organization that uses, in part, virtual reality, and it's used to address issues of bias and incivility in the workplace. So this amazing technology is used to upskill employees as well as leaders for more respectful engagement. So Robin and I talk about her work today, as well as all sorts of other things. So enjoy. So welcome, Robin. Thanks so much for being here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. So I'm really, really interested in the work that you're doing. It's such an interesting type of approach, given all of the things that are going on with DEI and looking at different types of discrimination and the approach that you're using. I'd like you to talk more about that, but maybe you can tell me more about what brought you to doing the work that you're doing today. Sure. Um, So our company is a
1: subscription as a service, and we have a program that in part uses virtual reality to address issues of bias and incivility and upskill employees for respectful engagement. Um, Mm. The immediate uh, idea for the use of virtual reality in this way was because I was actually doing some research with a virtual reality researcher at Stanford, another psychologist, when Trayvon Martin was killed and George Zimmerman was acquitted and that led to Black Lives Matter and that led some white people to say either all lives matter or white lives matter And not that I presume to know the lived experience of being Black in the U.S., but I thought that I knew enough to hypothesize that it was really a profound failure of understanding and that we could use virtual reality to help people more deeply understand where people from different backgrounds are coming from, you know, what their lived experience is, and in doing so have not just empathy, because that's great, but it's not enough. We really need to upskill people. Of of the what then? What should I do instead? Mm-hmm. Uh, I should also say, particularly for your listeners, I I went to a public all girls high school, and then I and then I went to a coed college, and that was a really interesting experience. Um, and so I think that. That's a precursor, if you will, for, for setting me up about um, differences in lived experiences and the way we carry that around with us and what it means when people don't understand.
0: Mm-hmm. So for people who may not have heard that term before, lived experience, can you tell us just a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, for me, what
1: lived experience means is uh, what the wear and tear of what? It, what is it like to be, I call it in the feet of someone else. So we can be in the shoes of someone else, but we're still us, right? We're still, we're having our perspective walking around in their lives. And I think to understand the lived experience is to be in the feet of the people. So for instance, um, you, let's just take as a little example, um, in the workplace, a, woman, a male colleague may say something like, oh, you're shopping again on your lunch hour? In the days when we worked, you know, we all worked together, <laughs> co-located. Um, and that may seem like that's not a, a big deal, but the lived experience of it is it's just one more thing in a very long string of incidents that happen on a daily basis. And so that's the idea is if I were just seeing that one experience in your shoes, but not your feet, I wouldn't understand why you're overreacting. What's the big deal? So they mentioned shopping, right? But it's the lived experience of of these little, you know, death by a thousand cuts, so to speak.
0: So the idea of the virtual reality is to teach me as the user um, just about that sort of perception of how that microaggression might feel. Is that right? Yes. It's not just... um, We
1: actually don't call them microaggressions because I Mm. think that people often can be quite reactive to the term these days. But um, it's, it's helping people understand the impact of... Certain uh, typical things that we know that can feel disrespectful, could be disrespectful unintentionally, and what to do about it. Because understanding actually is not enough. Um, That's Mm. one of the things that we know. It's great, you know, to be empathic or to understand, but it really doesn't help people say, well, what should I do instead? If I don't want to acknowledge that you're going shopping in that way, you know, what am I supposed to say? Um, If I want to say something to you to connect with you, what is it that I should say, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, in the height of Me Too, if I wanted to acknowledge in some way and support you in a team meeting, because now I'm aware of how w- women's ideas are more likely to get shot down or disrespected, it's not enough for me to notice it. I need to know how to do something different.
0: hmm hmm So nowadays, if you were thinking about, you know, producing a virtual reality to have someone see the lived experience of a woman in midlife or older in the workplace what sort of things would you build into that experience
1: oh that's a wonderful question um well one is invisibility i mean that's really the most i think profound thing is is not not to be noticed at all you know, it's not even that your comments get disrespected. They're just not, they're just not responded to. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's, you know, that's just one example. I mean, another one is depending on who the person is. Um, some comment about appearance that is disrespectful. Uh, it, it, you know, depends on who the person is. The woman is as to the specific form of that, but that's, you know the most likely thing and and it's really again to be overlooked to have achievements that are praised by someone else overlooked you know have credit taken from you and claimed by someone else or at least not shared
0: mm-hmm.
1: and these are just some of the examples but they're they're the prototypical ones unfortunately some are shared with younger women women some have a different form with younger women um, Some are different depending on the woman's race or ethnicity, Um, but yeah.
0: It's so interesting to hear that idea of visibility because it's the thing that I hear most often from women is that they feel invisible at a certain age, and that's across the board when they're out. the world if they're in the workplace that they just don't feel like people see them and i'm wondering about that just in terms of what you see when we're thinking about women getting older at work is this something that you think is one of the central issues or is it part of the the bigger issue
1: um i mean i think subjectively in terms of lived experience I, i think it's the biggest i mean i actually. Also consider equity to be a really uh, important issue because I think if there were actual equity, the invisibility <laughs> would disappear. Absolutely, um, equity both in terms of compensation, task assignment, credit, um, acknowledgement of status, you know, power, uh, you know. So I, I think the
0: invisibility is really a byproduct. other issues and you touched on it but I'd like to I guess get a bit more of your take on the idea of the intersection of some of the other things in women's lives in midlife so the intersectionality of race and sexual orientation um, any thoughts about that in terms of how that's different as women get older not that those experiences are changing but how that might have an impact as well as women get older at work So some I know that with um,
1: with uh, issues around demographics the the you know again the specifics of the lived experience can be very different for instance for, uh, black women in general, there's, you know, the myth of the angry Black woman. And so, you know, that, that doesn't get better as as, as Black women age. Um, and in, in some sense, it, it can be even more challenging. Uh, I think that for Asian American women, um, to the extent that they yet higher status that becomes much more complicated because we hold stereotypes. We meaning collectively Americans, Mm -hmm. um, or other people, um, hold stereotypes about Asian American women and holding power is not typically included in that Mm. um, or sexualized version of holding power. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as, those women age, you know. Again, it gets very complicated about to be seen and to hold power, um, to the extent that they have power, or not to hold power, right? And so, uh, I, you know, I think the interest, and then you know, for uh, women who are LGBTQ, that adds a whole other layer, and um, and also kind of how they live in the world and the what how people tend to respond to that. I, mean, I think the, the key is a common thread of invisibility mm. and the challenges around ambition, status, and power. Mm. Um the, the again the form is, is expressed often differently in the intersectionality, but I think there are real complications. Mm. Um
0: Yeah. yeah, it's a big issue. It's a big issue. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to ask you a question that I'm sure you're asked all the time. But you know, we talk a lot right now about the Great Resignation, yes. um, and you talk about leadership in your work. And it's really interesting to me that women have lost an enormous amount of money and roles um, during the uh pandemic and yet they're still moving into these leadership positions and then the the other side of that is that women are anticipated to leave the workforce in 2022 especially women in these sort of mid-level and higher management roles Mm. they're meant to leave at the highest rates of all when surveyed their intent to leave is at the highest rate of any other group can you talk a little bit about what you see in your work in terms of just what they're facing and why they might be making that decision? Um, my understanding is it differs a bit by sector. So I think that complicates
1: things. You know, for instance, mm-hmm. retail, you know, the highest level in retail, I think, is different than in an enterprise organization. So mm-hmm. just to, to qualify that a little bit, Um You know, and I think women in general are either leaving or choosing as, as hybrid or work from away as they can get mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Um, I think, you know, it is. So even white men have a story. Let me just preface this by saying there's a lived experience for white men and particularly for older white men where the the implicit social contract under which they came of age midlife if you will um has it it changed on them right and there is something that we know a phenomenon from neuroscience that we know called loss aversion loss aversion and uh, what we what it means is that our brains are more sensitive to the threat of loss than the opportunity for gain. Mm. For most women, a work trajectory has not been about the threat of loss, but the resentment about the obstacles for gain. Um, that's true for men of color as well. For white men... It's really about law. They're kind of in a unique demographic group, where they're they're the only ones likely to have loss aversion, mm. because it is about the threat of loss, right? It just means there are more people vying for the same promotion, more, you know, and and and, um, you know, they're, they're not empty candidates. I mean, they're you know serious candidates. So okay. Why did I preface this? Because I think it's important to recognize um, for older women who, you know, came up during the change in social contract, if you will, that men have experienced there, it's been very challenging. It's different, obviously, than our mothers or grandmothers who may have been, you know, one of the early women to finish college, to go to law school, to, you know, become a manager, you know, some, something like that. But it's hard, I mean, it's just hard and grinding and COVID, the, you know, the pandemic has been brutal in terms of um, just grinding out. You know, we've performed incredibly well under very difficult circumstances, but we're tired. And we're also reevaluating our lives and what's important And, you know, if we can afford not to keep going on the rat race and we feel like we've, it's an opportunity to rethink. So I think many women and many men, but, but I think particularly women are rethinking, what do I value? What's the utility? Um, is there something else I can do that's meaningful? Meaningful work is a really hot topic. Um, and there are many ways work can be meaningful. It can, the mission of the organization can be enough. It can be meaningful because of your colleagues. It can be meaningful because of the challenges that you get to learn and master. But, but I think people are really tired and they're mm. thinking um, what do I value? Why am I doing this? Is this what I want for the rest of my life? And, and that's a shorter window now um, you know, as we get older. And so what, how do I want to position myself? What is it that I want for this chapter of my life in a way? So we're, we're thinking about that in a way, I think we may not have thought about that before.
0: So it's really interesting, this idea that women are, um, they're kind of at this you know, time in their life where they have choices to leave the workplace if they wanted to. They understand that they have this shorter time left um, and they're tired. So beyond the meaningful work, is there anything from your perspective that employers could do better to keep those women in those roles? Absolutely. They should be talking to us and asking us
1: what they can do to keep us in those roles. Um, it's, it's not hard. Um, they may not want to do it, right. Or it may be complicated to do that equitably, you know, whatever it is women are wanting, of course, then there's a, there's an equity issue the other direction. Um, but Mm -hmm. uh, if they want to keep us, they should ask us what they can do to keep us.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, (laughs) Where can people find out more about your work? Um, if they wanted to learn more about this amazing work that you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you. Um just you can go to liveintheirworld.com. Uh you can contact us there. We have a free download on the homepage and on the publications page. We have an ebooks, so we always have some kind of free download. I think it's now on the psychological underpinnings of inclusion as a mm-hmm. habit. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look for Robin Rosenberg psychologist. Cause I'm the only one of that. There are other Robin Rosenbergs. Uh, we're on Twitter live and then the letter N their world. We are also on LinkedIn and yeah, just reach out and if you have questions. Um, We do offer leadership training. You mentioned leadership, and we do do executive coaching because Mm. sometimes it's hard to ask for what you want (laughs) Um, or what you need. So, um, yeah, that's how people can reach me.
0: Fantastic. And we'll make sure that all of your information is included in the show notes. So people have an easy way to get back to those links that you mentioned. Robin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. All of that information was so helpful. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to you.
1: I did as well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Age Sister podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast app. We'll also be posting the show notes and any other important information at www.cardahealthconsulting.com.